You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, was her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jomer, for reading our scripture this week. So this past week, Jean, our construction committee chair, and I had the the privilege to don some hard hats and tour the construction site for our new church. I've spent years looking at the architectural drawings, so I'm very familiar with the layout of the new space. But it was absolutely incredible to stand on the floor of the sanctuary and to look around and actually see what was once just on a piece of paper now actually exists in 3D. We even got to go up the stairs to the second floor to look at the spaces that will have the playground for Kinhaven School, that will have the choir room, and will have other spaces for Sunday school to meet. It was incredible to see something that we have been working on for so long actually begin to exist as an actual building. Throughout this journey, there have been a lot of important decisions that we have had to make. And at times, it felt like we had no good options. But every time we got stuck, God provided a better way forward for us. It wasn't always what we pictured as our ideal, but it allowed us to continue moving forward to get this building built. Now, I know that there's going to be some things in this new building that future generations of pastors and parishioners are going to wonder what in the world were they thinking when they made this decision. Now, hopefully it's small things like where we put all the electrical outlets and all the plugs for the computers and the TVs. But there's always this question of how do you create space for people who will be there 50 years in the future? 
We have talked a lot about having flexible space, but we cannot envision what church will look like in the year 2072. 50 years ago, the people at Central wouldn't have imagined that we'd be using the internet and television channels to share our worship service with people here in Arlington and around the world. They just couldn't envision because the technology wasn't in place 50 years ago. And we can't necessarily envision what will exist 50 years from now. But the decisions that previous generations made affect us today, and the decisions that we make today will affect the future generations of our church. I know that decades ago, the congregation had the opportunity to purchase additional land on our block in Ballston. On that land right now are some beautiful townhomes, because the trustees at that time couldn't see the vision of why the church would need that space and why they would need to make such a significant financial investment. But we today could easily imagine what an incredible blessing it would have been to our neighborhood if it was church property that could have been developed to create even more affordable housing. But at that time, it just didn't make sense. The church didn't have a vision, and they didn't see why they would need to make that investment. In our church today, we live with the reality of decisions made by previous generations. And the decisions that we make today will create the reality that future generations will live with. This same principle is true in families. The present generation of a family lives with the echoes of decisions of previous generations. Sometimes it's obvious, like when a family emigrates from one country to a new home. Other times it's more subtle, like the generational trauma that can show up in families. We see this in scientific studies with survivors of the Holocaust and how their descendants still have marks of that trauma in their bodies and lives. We don't always have control over what we inherit from the decisions of our ancestors. But we do have the opportunity to consider our descendants as we make choices today. This is one of the ideas that comes from the seventh generation philosophy. It was a law in the Iroquois nation, that seventh generation thinking, thinking about the decisions we make today and how they will affect seven generations yet to come, thinking long-term sustainably. It's really hard to think with that many years in the future, but there's a current campaign by our National Park Service, and it's sort of rooted in this idea. Yellowstone National Park launched something they're calling the Inheritance Pass. This is an annual pass that you can get by making a $1,500 donation. But the Inheritance Pass is for the year 2172. You're purchasing an annual pass to use 150 years from now. They do also throw in a bonus pass so that you can use an annual pass this year. But the whole point of this is to raise funds to help sustain the park so that it will still be there in 150 years to welcome visitors, 
So that people who make this inheritance pass investment begin to think longer term and to wonder what decisions we make now and how it will affect the park and the park goers in the year 2172. It is hard to think 150 years in the future, or even more to think seven generations in the future. Two weeks ago, when we heard the gospel lesson from Matthew to begin the story of Jesus, we heard about all of the generations of his family. We heard about the people who came before him through Joseph. We heard all of the incredible people who were part of his heritage, who made decisions good and bad, and the way that they affected the genealogy of Jesus. There were some significant people like King David, and there were some important people who made a theological point that God encompasses love for all the world and not just one tribe. But this is really important that it comes to us through Joseph's side. Because you see, if Joseph went to sleep one night and an angel came to him and said, Mary, you're betrothed, and he decided not to obey, then Jesus wouldn't have had the same genealogy. Jesus would not have had the same ancestor of King David. He would not have had all of those important women in his lineage. What would have happened if Joseph had decided to divorce Mary? Would she have been able to bring Jesus into the world as a single mother? Or would her community have shunned her or worse, stoned her for adultery? What would have happened if Joseph had made another choice? Joseph was a righteous man, and he was trying to be faithful to the rules of his religion. And the rules of his religion said that Mary had committed adultery, and so he should divorce her. He was trying to be compassionate by divorcing her quietly to help reduce the amount of shame bringing to Mary. But Joseph goes to sleep that night thinking he's doing the right thing, thinking he's doing what God wants him to do. And an angel shows up and tells him that the righteous way is a different way. Discipleship is about always learning to make a better choice. Now, we may not have angels show up in the middle of the night to command us what to do in our dreams, but we too can strive to be righteous people like Joseph. Our discipleship happens in the choices that we make every single day, how we choose to love others, love ourselves, and express God's love in this world. Methodists use the term sanctification to refer to the process of God making us more holy. I think in this moment where Joseph is dreaming, it's an opportunity for him to experience sanctification. For God to tell him, yes, Joseph, you are righteous. And because of that, I am going to tell you to do something differently than the law of your religion commands. Typically, when we think of being made holy, we also remember that there is a component of confession for the times that we have not made the right choice. When we confess those wrongs, we ask for forgiveness, and then we strive not to commit the same sin again. 
In circles outside the church, I've heard the phrase, no better, do better. It's this idea of acknowledging that we will make missteps, we will do wrong things, we will make mistakes, but then when we learn that we have made a mistake, then in the future we can choose a better way. Over the years, this is an opportunity for us to consider our choices, not just for ourselves, but the choices we make for future generations. We do the best we can with what we have. We follow the rules as we understand them, but there are times when we realize the rule isn't the point. Over and over in the New Testament, we hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, He would name a religious rule of that day and then offer his teaching that gets to the heart of what that rule was about. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. He is citing a law of his people that says, if someone damaged your eye, you could damage their eye in response. This sounds absolutely barbaric to our ears. But if you look at what was happening at that time, the rule was actually limiting violence from escalating. You see, if someone damaged a person's eye in response, that person might kill their perpetrator. It would escalate the level of violence against the one who damaged your eye. So we can see how that initial rule was a step toward living in peace toward your neighbors by not creating vicious cycles of violence that continue to escalate. That rule served a purpose for generations. It helped to limit the violence. But then Jesus came and he taught us that living in peace is much more than just limiting violence. He is helping people to get under the rule and to understand the value of the rule. The value was about living in peace with your neighbors. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you now. He says, in order to be a disciple of Christ, you must understand it's not about the rule, it's about the value under the rule. And so as I read this text from Matthew, Looking at Joseph, a righteous man, I see his attempt at righteousness in his compassionate desire to divorce Mary quietly, to follow the rules of his religious community. But his encounter with the angel changes what the rules are about. Joseph is silent in this text. He's not silent like Zechariah was for nine months as a punishment, but he's silent because he simply accepts the angel's message and he acts in accordance with God's command. This is an incredible level of righteousness. I believe it is the fruit of years and years of devotion to God's law. Joseph had read the holy text. He knew the scripture from the prophet Isaiah that says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from that dream, 
And the angel of the Lord told him that he should take Mary as his wife and name their child Jesus. That is what he did. He didn't need any further explanation. He was simply an ordinary faithful man who was ready to do as the Lord commanded because he knew the words of the prophets. He knew that he was striving for righteousness and God had given him a better way. The wonder of this story is that through an ordinary man, God was working in an extraordinary way. He had already sent his son to be born of a virgin, to be the savior of the world, and it required the cooperation and faithful obedience of Joseph. The Reverend Daryl Hamilton reflected on this passage by saying, We often ask this of Mary, but did Joseph know that his baby boy would one day walk on water and save our sons and daughters? Did Joseph know that this baby boy would come to make him new? That the son that Mary delivered would deliver him too? Did Joseph know that this baby boy walked where angels trod? And when he kissed his little baby, that he'd kiss the face of God? Next week, our gospel lesson will tell us that, yes, Mary did know all of that. But in our gospel lesson this week, Joseph doesn't say a word. He simply obeyed. We don't know all that he understood, but he knew that he needed to take the next right step. That the choice he made would change the world by choosing to be Mary's husband and helping to raise Jesus. Joseph listened for God's word and he tried to follow it. And when God spoke through an angel to Joseph, he woke up and he did as the Lord commanded. Reverend Hamilton wrote also, not by DNA, but by mutual affection is a father eternally bound to his child. Even though Mary was chosen to be the God bearer, Joseph was commanded to be the God rearer. We may never have such a choice like Joseph did. We may never be visited by an angel in a dream, but God still wants each and every one of us to be a righteous person, to be a disciple on the path of sanctification, ready to choose another way when faced with a choice, ready to always choose the path of faithfulness and love. May God grant us the courage and wisdom that Joseph had so that the choices we make today are a blessing to the seventh generation of disciples who are yet to be born. Amen.